0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Kings, First Kings chapter 17, verse 8 through 16. We're going to be looking at the story that some of you might be familiar in the Old Testament. Uh, may it encourage us to step out in faith and trust in Him. Let me just kind of encourage us once again, the reason why we sing hymns, uh, these songs that some of you do not know, is because we really want, first of all, many of you to learn some of these songs that are connected to history. Many of you are just into all these songs as about feeling and which is good, but a lot of these older songs has a lot of theology. And the reason why some of us struggle in our walk with God is because we don't have a strong foundation. And so even though they're new to you, try to listen to it and try to catch on. Maybe we should make a Spotify with a lot of hymns so you guys can listen to it because it's rich in theology. So that's the first reason why we want to try to sing hymns during this offering time. The second reason is this. There are a lot of people who used to go to church and they go to churches that are a little bit more formal. So they would sing a lot of hymns. And because they kind of strayed away, some of them actually try to come back to church to check out. Church, once again, maybe they're going through something in their lives. And sometimes by singing songs that they're familiar with from long ago, it kind of connects them in that way. And I think that's, that's very important because we have a heart for evangelism. We want to be able to reach out to as many people as possible, even those who have strayed away. And the third reason is because we want to be a church that's not insular and to ourselves. That means that there's going to be many different conferences, there's going to be many different gatherings where some of the tradition is singing in hymns. And we're not going to be singing hill songs and passion or whatever else. And so to be able to know some of these songs, you will be able to unite with other brothers and sisters in other traditions in the Christian faith so that we can sing some of these songs together. Uh, I want to encourage you that some of these songs, even though it seems old and you've never heard of them before, get the theology behind it because we need to grow stronger In our relationship with Christ it's very important so I want to just encourage us with that and praise God for the undergrad retreat amen we had a we had a really good time and the Holy Spirit met us and we're praying that a lot of the fruits will come forth from this retreat Uh, one of the things that I've been challenging people with it's been eight years since our church got started back in 2015 and it's been very hard to find a batch from the universities and even going to the single adult life that are still on fire and excited for God and doing something great together. Because as you start getting older, your heart starts getting older. And it's really easy to turn to the things of this world rather than turning to God. That's why I'm thankful for even my batch, long, long time ago, that many of us went on the mission field. We became uh, entrepreneurs. We did all these things, but all of them are involved in church missions, and they're serving the Lord all over the world. And I I believe it was a special anointing that God gave to our batch and the batch above and the batch below. Those three years during college, God met us in such a powerful way. And that's why I'm a firm believer of university ministries. And we're asking all of you and we're praying that in this next generation, there will be a batch of students who will be partnering together, loving one another, challenging one another. You're not their friend if all you do is tell them nice things. You're their real friend if you can tell them hard things that they don't want to hear they might even hate you for it but you do it because you love them because you made a covenant with them when you were in college and say we're going to serve god together for the rest of our lives and if some of the people within the covenant that you've made if they straight away then you what you're doing is you're committing to the process of saying i'm going to keep you accountable and we're going to do this together and i pray that you will have that some of you do not have that especially those of you who are single adults partly because you weren't part of a batch here in our church. Some of you came as a single adult, some of you were, but whatever reason, it just, it hasn't worked out. So I want to challenge us, those of you who are university students, as I talked about last night, it is going to be vital that you build these friendships that are God-centered, kingdom-oriented friendships, so that you will be able to serve together wherever God places you. I'm praying that God will even unite some of you to go and plant churches for the glory of God. To those of us who are still here and you're part of a batch, once in a while, get together and just share and to pray, update on what's going on and to be able to say, start dreaming together of what God wants to do. So I'm praying that God will allow the fruits that came out from this retreat, our first ever uh, will manifest itself in such a way that we will see life transformation, and around the world. As you've turned to 1 Kings chapter 17, I want to just remind us that we started this new series last week, and we simply called it "Stepping Out." And really, what it comes down to is we really want to help you grow, in your faith journey with Jesus Christ. That's why we said there's a threefold purpose for this series. The first one is we're trying to prepare you for Missions Month, which is going to happen in November. There's going to be many of you in this room who will have to step out in faith because we're going to have different outreaches, different things that we're doing. Some of you have maybe never stepped out of your comfort zone. Some of you go to work and there are colleagues that they don't even know you're a believer, which to me, it's very shameful if they don't know that you're a believer. That means that you're living a very incognito Christian life and that should not be because God has called us to be the salt and light of the earth. And because of that, I pray that anyone who comes in contact with you, they will know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're perfect. That's why you need a Savior as well as they need a Savior. But it is a life worth living because He has done so much for you. So I'm praying that as we take these steps of faith during Missions Month, some of you will make some big commitments to say, God, I want to step out in faith and do this. Or God, I feel like you're calling me to do that. And I'm praying that that would happen. That's why we're having this series in the month of October so that when November comes around and we have missions month, you will be ready to respond to God. The second reason why we're having this is because we want to prioritize our spiritual growth. I've said this and I'm going to keep on saying it until we finally get it. You are not growing spiritually unless you, are, you exemplify and demonstrate steps of faith that you have taken. If anything, you're just getting your spiritual head puffed up and you're turning into a Pharisee and a self-righteous person. Because if you read the Word, but you do not obey the Word, that's exactly what a lot of these spiritual, self-righteous people have done in the past, especially in the Bible. They're known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Some of us right now, we cannot even remember the time we stepped out in faith. There are people in our lives who cannot identify something in your life that they go, Wow! you really trusted God for this. And that's why we're trying to prioritize your spiritual growth. If you're serious about growing spiritually, then you have to step out in faith. You have to make that commitment to be able to say, I'm, I hear God's voice. I hear it as I'm the word. And as he's speaking to me, I'm going to then go obey. Regardless of what the cost, regardless of what people think of me, I am going to step out in faith. If you do not, have that even within this past month you are probably not growing spiritually you're just growing spiritually fat but you are not growing spiritually fit and so my hope and prayer is that this coming rest of this october as we talk about stepping out in faith that we will prioritize our spiritual life the third thing that we're praying for is that you will practice your spiritual muscle once again faith is a spiritual muscle You don't use it, you're going to lose it. What I mean by that, not your salvation, but what's going to happen is you're going to harden your heart. And we see this time and time again. I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've seen people over and over again, same people, that they have a lot of head knowledge. They know a lot. They've been to all the life groups. They've been to all the gatherings. They've been to Sunday after Sunday. They even serve in ministry teams. But when you look at their lives, you realize that literally they're going through spiritual entropy. Because they have not exercised the muscle. It is a muscle. Faith is a spiritual muscle you have to exercise on a regular basis. And so the more you do that, the more you will see your spiritual life grow and excel. That's why we're going to break up this series into four parts. We talked about stepping out in faith in the midst of adversity. We talked about Joshua and Caleb. We talked about how even in the midst of fear... They were able to choose faith and God's purposes becomes more clear. Today, I want to talk about stepping out in faith in the midst of scarcity. I'm going to talk about this widow from Zarephath. That's what we see in the passage that we're going to read today. Next week, the third part, I'm going to talk about stepping out in the midst of insecurity. And fourth and last part is stepping out in the midst of uncertainty. So adversity, scarcity, insecurity, and uncertainty. So with that in mind, let me start off and ask us this question. I'm wondering, do any of you in this room know the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset? Some of you might've heard it before, but do you know the difference of an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset? If you're in the business world, they talk about this all the time because when you have an abundance mindset, the way you look at the future, the way you look at your company, the way you look at the things that happen, your decisions will be based on that kind of mindset. Same with scarcity mindset. The things that you do, the decisions you make for the company, a lot of times, if you have a scarcity mindset, it will dictate how you make choices and what kind of risks that you take. If I could simplify it and say it very succinctly, our scarcity mindset is about fear and survival. Abundance mindset is about trust and allowing bigger opportunities to come forth. I want to show you a diagram so that we can look at it together. And in this diagram, you will see the abundance mindset and the scarcity mindset. I don't know if you can read it, it's a little bit small here, but an abundance mindset has, is thinking big picture while the scarcity mindset is thinking small. Focus on opportunities from an m- abundance mindset. Focus on the cost, how much does it cost? That's a scarcity mindset. Optimistic about the future, you're neutral or pessimistic. These are people who have a scarcity mindset. Trust, not fear, but a scarcity mindset has fear-based and a fear-based outlook. The abundance mindset, life is about flourishing. But scarcity mindset, life is about survival, just trying to survive. No limits, significant limits, because we always look at what we cannot do. We have mindset of gratitude and a mindset of lack. I don't have these things. Abundance mindset has a long-term focus, while scarcity mindset always has a short-term focus. And lastly, we see here that the abundance mindset has an expansive vision and the scarcity mindset has a constricted vision. Do not raise your hand, but I'm wondering which mindset do you have? In fact, I don't even need to know what kind of mindset. You will show what kind of mindset you have by your actions. And I see this all the time when, when I'm sitting down across a, a table in a cafe and I'm listening to someone's story. Right away, I can tell if they have an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset, especially when it comes to some of the situations that they're facing in their lives. I just have to listen to what kind of decisions they make, and you will know exactly what kind of mindset that they have. Now, you need to understand that these mindsets are developed, and they are reinforced by circumstances and also our family background. In fact, I would, I would offer to us as, as probably just a thought that maybe some of us can evaluate within our own lives. Depending on your family background, you will probably be able to determine which mindset you have. If you grew up in a family that struggled financially or you went through a lot of difficult situations in your life, most likely you will have a a scarcity mindset because in that kind of situation, it's about survival. That's how you were raised almost your whole life, just trying to survive. Compared to a person who grew up in an environment or a family background where there's trust, where there's security, and where there's generosity, you have an abundance mindset. That's why one of the hardest things to do without, apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God is to change somebody who has a scarcity mindset to cross over and have an abundance mindset. In fact, I'm going to challenge you again that I believe a scarcity mindset is unbiblical. Those of you who have a scarcity mindset, It is a clear sign that you need to grow in your foundation and your understanding of God and your walk with God and you need to exercise that faith muscle. This is the reason why you're filled with greed. This is the reason why you're very judgmental. This is the reason why you don't like to take risks. This is the reason why you trust in yourself rather than trusting in God. This is the reason why you hate to lose control when God is the one who's fully in control. Your scarcity mindset, in fact, is impeding you. It is, it is slowing you down, if you will. It, it is hindering you from growing in your f- relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. It's something that you just have to come to acceptance or realization. And I'm praying that the Word of God will show us those areas of our lives that we have a scarcity mindset and then we submit ourselves to God and say, God, I cannot change on my own. I see it from scripture that it is abundance mindset that I need to have so I can live by faith to trust in you and the things that you're doing because naturally, I want to trust in myself. I want to trust in circumstances. I want to, I want to be able to just kind of keep everything very safe I pray that after today, every single one of us, wherever you are, some of you might have this abundance mindset, may it go stronger. To those of us who don't, I pray that there will be a desire and a hunger in you to have an abundance mindset. This is what's going to transform the world. This is what's going to transform your family, your workplace, your schools, because you need an abundance mindset. That's why I am not discouraged. In fact, I'm confident that those of you who grew up with the scarcity mindset, God can transform your mind. That's how I grew up because my parents immigrated to the United States and it's about survival, focusing on what we don't have. But now as I live my life and those of us who might know me well, I do not have that scarcity mindset. I might go back to it here and there, but I have more of an abundance mindset. Why? Because God worked in my life and I kept on exercising the spiritual muscle. That's why I'm confident. If you have a humble heart and you're willing to grow, if you, if you have a scarcity mindset right now, God could transform it into an abundance mindset. So I want to show you this video. Many of you know this ministry called The Bible Project. And they're explaining the importance of having a heart of generosity rather than a heart of scarcity. And I want you to understand that this mindset of abundance, oftentimes is connected to generosity. And I'm going to take it one step further. If you have an abundance mindset, that means that you have a deeper knowledge of the gospel. Not just head knowledge, I'm talking about knowledge in your heart that you're living out. That's why I keep on saying, if you have a scarcity mindset, it is unbiblical. You do not know the gospel to the level that you should. The more you understand the gospel, the more you understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you, it should radically transform your mind, the renewing of the mind, that you should start having an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset. I've seen people who are Christians, they're serving at high levels, but they still have a scarcity mindset, which reinforces that they do not understand the gospel. You might know the tenets of the gospel, but you do not have testimonies of the gospel working in your life. So, as we watch this, I want to challenge us to see from the biblical perspective why having the spirit of generosity and the spirit of abundance mindset is so important to understanding the gospel. And to those of us with a scarcity mindset, I pray that today we will repent we will turn from our ways, and we will turn to God in mercy and say, God, help me. I cannot do this on my own. I'm giving you right now some basic theology of having an abundance mindset and why that's connected to generosity. So let's watch this together. That was deep theology in four minutes. I hope you caught that. I'm going to do my best in the next 30 minutes to try to help you to understand from a story in the Old Testament why the gospel element of having this abundance mindset and trusting in God for all things can change your life. I will also like to show that there are many of you in this room that are not growing. In this abundance. And it's because you're not trusting in God. Because there is some kind of deceit and some kind of lie that you have believed in, that either God is not enough or he doesn't care for you or he doesn't know your needs or that he might actually fail you. There are so many lies that many of us in this room, we believe it. And until we get to the point where we can fully say that the truth of the gospel message can not only set us free, but it could actually help develop a mindset that will allow you to experience things that you have yet to experience. That's why some of us are stuck Some of you have been going to our church for years, and you have not changed. We preach the gospel week after week. You go into community where you can experience the gospel. It's not for a lack of opportunities, trust me on that. We have missions projects, we have classes, we have life groups, we have activities, we have everything going on in our church. So I want you to understand it is not because of a lack of opportunity. It's because the gospel message that you claim to know has not taken deep root into your heart. And that gospel root has not transformed you deep enough so that out of that gratitude of your heart of what Christ has done for you, that you will say, He is worthy of trusting. He is worthy of giving my life to He is worthy of serving. He is worthy of being able to say, God, I surrender my whole life to you. And until we get to that point, that's a process of sanctification. By God's grace, He's going to make us more and more holy. And I pray that He will do that. And not just by yourselves, but that's why we have one another. To sharpen one another, to challenge one another. So that we can be focused on becoming more like Jesus Christ together. As we talked about here, the scarcity mindset hinders us from really living out the calling that God has given us. And I'm praying that this morning that God will give us this abundance mindset and trusting in Him to work in our lives for the glory of God. I like what Paul Little said in his book, Affirming the Will of God, he writes this, the God who loved us enough to die for us when we cared nothing for Him is not about to shortchange us in life. Just think about that quote. If God did all these things by giving us His Son, Jesus Christ, to show us, even though we were rebellious, sinful people, if He did it for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died, then He is not going to shortchange us. We can trust Him for all our needs that we have in our lives. So today I want to talk about stepping out in faith in the midst of scarcity. So the one thing is simply this, that God's generosity overcomes any scarcity. Very simple, that it is God's generosity that overcomes any scarcity that we're going to face in our lives. I'm going to highlight two things in this story that I think really, in its essence, if we're going to have this kind of faith, to believe that God's generosity can overcome any scarcity, we need to believe in these two things. The first thing is this. We must believe that God is our provider. That we must believe that God is our provider. Will you turn to somebody next to you and tell them what the first point is? Go ahead and let them know. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 8 through 10. Listen to what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah, the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Let me just pause here and just kind of Help us to understand what's going on in the story so it'll make sense. So we'll see and have faith and believe that God is our provider. What you will notice here is that God tells Elijah to go to this place. Now, I'm going to share a little bit later why this place is important. And to stay there because there's going to be a woman, a widow, who's going to feed him. Now, there are a couple of things that we notice that's happening in the story that I think it's going to be important for us to note. The first thing is simply God spoke. Now for us, we have the Bible and God speaks through the Word. Sometimes He speaks to us in prayer. Sometimes He speaks to us through visions or impressions. He speaks to us through circumstances, even through other people. But the first thing that I want you to note here is that God speaks. And in verse 8, we see that the Word of the Lord came to Elijah And it is oftentimes God speaks to us so that we can actually step out in faith. I will caution people, do not be foolish and step out in faith when God hasn't clearly spoken to you. I've seen a lot of people do that because they are trying to impress somebody or they want to try to please somebody. Think about it. How many times have some of us served Just because we want the favor or we want acceptance from somebody. That's why when you're serving, you have a bad attitude. Things are not the way you expected. And a lot of times you get very flaky because you're not doing it in faith. Because you don't really believe that God has called you to serve in whatever capacity or in that particular situation. You just do it either for yourself or what you care about is what people think of you if you don't serve. That's just one example. Like everything in life, if we're going to step out in faith, you better make sure that it's God who's speaking to you. And that's why sometimes you might be the only person that believes that this is what God wants you to do. Because not everyone will agree. Not everyone will be happy. Not everyone will be on board and move along with you. That's the fact. Then in verse 9, we see that God specifically tells Elijah to go to Zarephath, and to dwell there. And like I said, it is very important to note that it's in Sidon. Earlier in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29 through 33, you will notice that there is a mention of King Ahab. And those of you who know your Bible, you realize that King Ahab was a very evil and wicked king. There were so many times when the Holy Spirit, through God, through the prophets, spoke to King Ahab, with all the things that he did that was evil in God's sight, but he did not listen. And the thing was that it was in this area in Zarephath where he ended up marrying Jezebel. Those of you who do not know, Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And it was her, Jezebel, who caused King Ahab to worship the Baal prophets and to worship the Baal gods. And not only the king, King Ahab, but she made all the people of Israel worship this Baal god. When God clearly said, said that you shall have no other gods before me. So I want you to think about this for a moment. It is interesting that Elijah is sent to go to this hometown of this woman who married King Ahab, who led all of the Israelite people astray in worshiping the Baal prophets. Can I just share some thoughts that I had on this as I was thinking about this? I realized that sometimes God puts us in situations that are not necessarily favorable or situations that might be ideal. Sometimes He tells us to go into some hard places. Sometimes He tells us to do things that might not be very convenient. So here's God telling Elijah to go to Zarephath and there will be a woman there. And Elijah's probably thinking, why there? Because that's where everything got started. That's where she was raised. That's where all the stuff happened. But we will notice here that in obedience he goes. That's why the second point that I want to make here is not only did God speak, but Elijah obeyed. Look at verse 10 again. We see that Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Now, I'm sure that sometimes when you read the Bible, there's no kind of the information of the in-betweens. I don't know how, how long he wrestled with God. We don't know how quickly he arose and went to Zarephath. It could have been instantly. It could have been like days. It could have been, who, who knows? But the thing that I want you to notice is that he obeyed. He got up and he left and he went to Zarephath. The challenge that I have for us, if you're going to really understand the God who is our provider, is that when God speaks to you, do you obey? I was talking with uh, someone recently, and we're just talking about how oftentimes we trust in people and money and circumstances more than we trust in God. And we were just reflecting on this journey that we've been on and trying to lead different movements. And one of the things that we shared was early on when we were trying to set up this big conference, we were scrapping. We were thinking, how in the world are we going to get this much money to be able to hold this conference? Now, because this conference was pretty much a global, we, we needed to be able to provide scholarships for many people who come from countries that cannot get on a plane. And for some of them, it's their first time on a plane to get to the destination where we're going to have this conference. So we were scrapping, we were just praying, and we we're just wondering how this is going to happen. Finally, uh, we get this contact from a person who says that they're going to donate $100,000 dollars. USD to this conference. I want you to think about that for a moment. That's more than you have seen in your lifetime for some of us. A hundred thousand dollars USD. Almost a million dollars, Hong Kong dollars. Or is that right? Eight hundred? Anyway, something like that. And then we started getting excited. We're like, wow, this person is going to give us $100,000. So, you know what we started doing? We're like, yeah, give them a scholarship. Yeah, give them a scholarship. It was like Oprah Winfrey, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. We, we were just saying, yeah, because this 100000 is going to come in. We waited. We waited. And guess what? Nothing came. We contacted them, nothing. And so we're now like, okay, we're like, you get a car, you get a car, everyone's coming in. And we realize how in the world are we gonna pay for their their flights? How are we gonna pay for their stay at the hotel? And that was a moment where it really began to test us. Are we gonna trust in God or are we gonna trust in ourselves? Let me just say at the end of the day, at the end of the conference, we did our books and we realized that we were able to just be able to pay everything that we needed to. If you want to look at it, just it was just enough. And so that's why we were reminiscing together as we're talking, and our conclusion was this. If that person, whoever it is, sent from Satan, no, I'm kidding. Whoever this person is, even though they might have had wrong intentions, God actually used that to spur up faith in us to be able to say, God's going to provide. And He is providing. Even though later on we found out that He's not going to give that much. That became the impetus for us to move forward, to believe by faith that God is the one who is going to provide for every single one of our needs. I'm sharing this because oftentimes God will speak to you and you will have a choice whether to trust in yourself and have a scarcity mindset or trust in God with an abundance because God is generous and he has all things. And sometimes he waits to see if we will take a step of faith and then he will move because he wants us to move first to see that we really believe that he's good. That's why I think the importance of the story is that Elijah obeyed. Even early on, you will notice in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1-7, through 7, which we did not read, that God predicted that there will become a drought. There will come a drought. But God, in His mercy and in His grace and in His provision, the provider, still provided Elijah with water from the brook and meat and food from ravens. I mean, think about that. Ravens were coming and providing food for Elijah. So even in that moment, he realized that trusting in God, that God will be the one who will be the provider. That's why when we come to, starting from verse 8 and on, I believe because of the things that he experienced when God says, I want you to go to Zarephath, that he arose and then he went and he obeyed. That's what it is for us. Oftentimes, when we see God's past faithfulness and His provisions in the past, we can have confidence that He will continue to provide for us in the future. How many of you believe that? Can I get a good amen? Amen. That if He has provided for you in the past, that He will continue to do so. Because He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then in verse 10, we see Elijah ends up meeting this widow and asks her for water. Now, the thing that I want you to note is this. Elijah probably did not know that she was the widow that he was supposed to meet. It's interesting that God spoke to him about meeting a widow. And the first thing that he does when he goes to the city gate, he meets a widow. God's word is true. And everything that he says, we can trust in him for that. How about us this morning? I'm just wondering how many times God has provided for you over the years. And we have forgotten about His faithfulness, about His provisions, that He sustained you, He provided for you, not just financially, but He provided that strength. When you were struggling to finish off school, when you were finishing off that project at work or whatever it may be, you've forgotten that He provided everything that you needed. And now we're going back to our old ways and trusting in ourselves, trying to control everything, when He's the one who provided for you in the past. When was the last time that you trusted in God as a faithful provider? We must believe that God is our provider. The second point is this. We must not only believe that God is our provider, but you will see in the story as it progresses that we must believe that God is our promise keeper. That God is our promise keeper. I'm going to read verse 11 through 12 and listen to what it says here. And as she was going to bring it, which is the water that he asked for, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. I mean, as you're just listening and trying to follow along, I mean, think about what's happening. He says, oh, by the way, can you get me some water as he met this widow at the gate? And as she was actually about to get the water, he said, also, give me whatever's in your hand. And she goes, I haven't cooked, I haven't baked anything. All I have is this flour, this jar of flour, and this jug of oil. And what I was going to actually do with this is that I was going to bake something And then now we find out she has a son, that I was going to bake something, and my son and I, we were going to eat, and then we were going to die. I mean, think about how pathetic or how sad the situation is. Because if you know anything about biblical times, you notice being a widow is something that was not desired. That's why the Bible keeps on talking about how God has a heart for the orphans and the widows. Because they were often the ones who were neglected. They were the ones who were often the ones who did not experience justice in their society. They were overlooked. They were the marginalized people during that time. And so in verse 12, she responds and says, this is all I have. This is all I have. In this desperate situation, this is where God brought Elijah her way. I want you to see how awesome this is. Not only was it for Elijah to obey God and follow him and go to a place that he knows where Jezebel was from and where Ahab worshipped the Baal gods. But also God knew that she needed something and that's why God sent Elijah. See, that is the beauty of who God is. He does so many things that we are not even aware of. That's why it proves that we are so finite in our understanding. There are things right now that God is doing in your life, in your family's life, in your workplace, wherever it may be, that you have no clue what He's doing. You might be maybe aware of just one or two things, but I'm telling you right now, there are things that God is doing many things that he's doing so he could bring about his purpose and his will upon your life. So here's this woman planning on cooking just what little she had. They were going to eat and they were going to die. But in that situation, God spoke to Elijah to come to Zarephath, which didn't make sense for him, but to come there. And guess what? He was going to be an answer in her situation. I'm just wondering how often do we see God working in our lives in this way. Sometimes God sends us to places that we don't expect. Sometimes God brings people our way that we don't expect. Sometimes God brings circumstances that we weren't even looking for, but we realize that it's God who's leading us all along. Oftentimes, the crisscross, when we crisscross our lives with people, That those are some divine appointments i think about my life and all the different people that have come my way people that i wasn't even seeking after but god knew that that is exactly what i needed that's exactly what our church needed and so he brings those things and those people our way I, i don't even know if some of you know how our church got started here in hong kong In fact, as many of you know, when my wife and our family, we were in Indonesia, we just committed one year to help start this church. And then associate pastor was going to come and take over the church. And the only reason why we did that was because we wanted to set the example to challenge many of these young people to give one or two years of your life on the mission field. So by me going with my family and I would stand in the pulpit and challenge students or young people They have nothing to say because we did it. And that's why we ended up going to Indonesia. And from there, my wife and I, we prayed that one of these days, Lord, send us to Asia after all our kids are off to college. God's plan and timetable is not ours. He brought us out to Asia earlier, but this is what he was doing. As soon as we got back to Ann Arbor, Michigan, in 2010 we don't know what it was but as soon as we got back in 2010 in the summertime and then the new season in autumn started we started seeing a lot of people from Hong Kong coming out to our church we started seeing a lot of people from China coming out to our church at first we didn't notice but then God got our attention that he's doing something and those people who were in our church, they were talking about how they're going to go back to Hong Kong and go to grad school because it's cheaper in Hong Kong. And they were going to go to CUHK. And so we're like, okay. And there were talks about, well, if God is calling us to start a church, well, the first place that we want to start it, or a life group, is with the mountain people why because that's where our alumni were at they're going to go to grad school there so we began to pray and god led us and put it in our hearts to come to start a church in hong kong so once we decided my wife and i came in march of 2015 to at least get some housing to settle in all the logistical things so we came here and when I arrived, there's a an alum, alumnus that we've known since uh, 1998, like the second year of our church, third year of our church. Uh, I think he was like a, a junior or a third year. He graduated. He wanted to stick around. You get one year to find a job. If you can, you got to go back. So he was looking for a job because he wanted to stick around more. He came to know the Lord in our church. He got discipled in our church, but he wasn't able to find a job or not a job that they would pay for his visa. So he ended up coming back to Hong Kong. So every single time I would travel to Asia, Singapore, whatever it may be, I would always make a stop in Hong Kong. I remember when we were here in March, we stopped by and I simply caught up with him and he introduced me to a lot of other people. And then he introduced me to somebody and said, I want you to meet this person because this person works as the dean of like the student affairs in PolyU." Now, I heard of HKU. I'm getting to know City or the C-U-H-K, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. But when he said Pali-U, I said, Pali-who? Because <laughs> I had no idea what Pali-U was. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and then sometimes he would take me in his car or we would take a bus and he goes, it's that building over there. That, that whole area is pali i I'm like, oh, it's right in this city. And it was interesting because in that trip in May, I ended up meeting this person who was in charge of the student affairs. And we were talking together and he said, Seth, I want you to know that God is doing something in PolyU. Actually, he's doing something in Hong Kong. He said, it is incredible to note that not only am I here that I have access to all the students here in PolyU, but the dean of all the students He's also a very strong on Christian. He he sees this as a mission to be able to reach out to the students. And I'm like, really? He goes, hold on. He goes, even the vice president is a strong Christian. So all the major people that will give you access to the school and to the students, they're all Christians. So I remember, I'm like, Polly who? But then I'm like, whoa, Polly you. So I went back to the hotel. I talked to my wife. And I said, you know what? We might actually have to start something in PolyU, because this is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where you have the vice president, the dean of students, and the person who's in charge of student affairs. They're all fully dedicated, devoted followers of Jesus Christ, which they see it as their mission to reach out to the students of PolyU. And so, as we were talking, we said, "Yeah, I think we should pray through this," and because we're ready to come with the team, we already knew who the teams were, uh, the team, the members were, and we were going to focus on CU. But we just realized that this was an opportunity that God gave us. So you know what we ended up doing? We had a team of uh, 18 people with three children, and then we had our three, so really about 12 or 13 of us, and we split that team in half, and half of them ministered at CU, and the other half went into PolyU, and I went to both. That's how we started the church. That's why... Every single thing that transpired from that moment on and even us starting these other campuses, it was the hand of God. Some of you already know, I, I shared with you, after we started in, in CU, in Chinese University, as well as in PolyU, I found out there's a school called HKUST that's supposed to be ranked pretty high in Asia. And that year, that year, for whatever reason, it was ranked a little bit higher than HKU. So all the HKU people had some insecurity problems in their (laughs) lives. So as I first heard this, I I remember we were at a, a summit. We were at a gathering with some leaders. And I said, let's just pray. I said, let's pray for these universities. And that's what we did. We prayed for HKUST. It was a Saturday night. Sunday rolled around and I preached and afterwards some people came up to me. They said, "Pastor, these are people from HKUST. There are about five of them. Four or five of them. I'm like, and so you, you know, like you've been famished, you're hungry and there's a steak and you're like what's up guys? <laughs> so we started talking. I found out that they're from a land with a flag that's red and white. So I kind of rolled out my famous script. Oh, I used to live in Indonesia. Oh, really? Yes. Which part? And we go on, tamanangrek, and all that stuff. And so we, we worked that. I have a script. So as I was talking with her, I said, hey, let's, let's meet up for coffee on your campus. So I was excited. Because I actually now, as the thing was that we prayed the night before And for whatever reason, God brought these people on Sunday. That's when you know that it was the hand of God and nothing that we have done. I just found out that somebody works over at Education University of Hong Kong. I got excited. Hey, maybe you could show us the campus because we want to try to reach out to these universities. Why is this important? Because God not only is the provider, but God is the one who is the promise keeper. And you see here, here's this woman who was about to die after she ate dinner with her son. That was her plan. That God intervened in this situation beyond what she was able to understand. Brought Elijah, who obeyed God, arose and then he left for Zarephath. He happened to meet this widow that God was talking about at the gate, asking for water. He sees something in her hand, thinking that it was food. He asked her to give me some food. And what does she say? I don't have anything baked. I don't have anything made. All I have is a jar of flour and a jug of oil. And what happens afterwards? Well, let's read verse 13 and 14 to find out. Listen to what it says. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. I want you to understand how crazy this is. I, I, let's read it again. He says, do what you said you're going to do where you're going to make something for your son and for yourself. This word right here, but, first make whom? To whom? It's it's me. First make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and then what? Afterwards, make something for yourselves. <laughs> That's like you having this much water in your water jug. And then what he says is, let me have a sip of this, and then you could drink the rest of it. That's what's going on here. She doesn't have enough for herself and her son. What little that she had, she was going to make it and they were going to eat and they were going to die. And here's Elijah, for whatever reason, anointed by God, and the prophet of God. And he says, before you make something for yourself, he says, give me a little bit first. And then make it for yourself and your son. And here's the part that's powerful in verse 14. He says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, that after you do this, if you obey, they will never run out of flour or oil. It's going to go on forever. The reason why, verse 14, as we just read, the phrase, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the reason why this is important is because it is a promise from God. Thus says the Lord. God said it, not him. It's a promise that God is making. Number two, it is from a God who is the God of Israel, which simply means that God of Israel is the God who is a promise keeper because he's the one who made covenants with Israel. That's why he stuck it in there. Let's go back to verse 14. I want you to look at it. He could have just said, thus says the Lord. But it's important that he adds this part to it. He goes, the God of Israel. That should trigger in anyone's mind. The God of Israel is a God who is faithful to every promise that he has made, he has fulfilled. That's why it is important that we notice that it's a God of Israel. Because God made that promise to Abraham, to Isaac to Jacob, and to Joseph, and on, and on, and on, and he has yet to fail in keeping his promise. Can I get a good amen to that? He is constantly making promises that is accordance to his word, and he has yet to fail. He is literally 100% And some of those things that have not come yet, it's going to come because one of them is he's going to come back. Jesus Christ will return, his second coming. God is a promise keeper. Everything that he promises, everything that he says, it is true. And so Elijah, what he was saying is that if you honor God and make him a priority, blessings will come into your life. This is such an important principle in the Bible. That God told Moses, if you remember, he told the people that they, what they have is from God. What they have is from the Lord. Therefore, they should give an offering. Numbers chapter 15, I want to read this passage. 17 through 21, the ESV. Read the yellow section with me. It says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, And when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall what? Present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall what? Present a loaf as a contribution. Like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough, you shall what? Give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. The concept is there. Even though you have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil in this jug, first give it to me, Elijah, the servant of God. And then you will see blessings that will come. That is the same concept. When you get into the land that you need to give this contribution of dough or bread because you are consecrating. God, this is yours. You brought us into this land. You're the one who provided. You are the God who is a God of abundance. So we give this to you as an offering. The principle is also reinforced when Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. We go into the New Testament, listen to what it says in the passage. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but what? Seek first, making a priority, make him first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I read this passage yesterday from the retreat, I want to give you the other translation. In the message translation, it says, or amplified, and then the message it says, but first and what? Most importantly, seek, which is aim at, strive after His kingdom and His righteousness, His way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all these things will be added to you also. It's about seeking God first in everything that we do. Let's look at this other translation in the message. It says that steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and what? God's provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns, what? Will be met. Do you see how we get it backwards? We worry. We don't seek His kingdom. We seek our own kingdom. And then we wonder why we are living this scarcity life or a life of scarcity. What would you have done if this is all you had? Little bit of flour, little bit of oil. And that person comes up to you and says, first make a little bit for me and then you can have it for your, yourself and your son. Can you imagine? Because their first thought is, I don't have enough. I don't have enough for myself and my son. And that's what God is challenging some of us with will you seek him first will you put his kingdom as a priority over the things that you are trying to do for yourself and when we live by faith with god's promises then we can experience greater things because god is a promise keeper let me close with these two verses in verse 15 and 16 and she went and did as elijah said and she and he and her household ate for many days The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. What happened? Literally it multiplied and God continually supplied them with flour and oil. Don't ask me, I don't know, it's a miracle. This is why it takes faith. To trust that if God says something, when we obey Him, God will work and show us how faithful He is. I think the danger of this is the prosperity gospel that we see in so many places around the world. If you do this, then God will do this. As if somehow we could earn our way to God's blessings, and we can't. But what God does want from us, for us to be blessed, is obedience. That, therefore, if God is speaking to you about something and you be, then hear his voice and you obey, that little bit of flour, that little bit of oil that you have, it will never run out. God, who is a promise keeper, God, who is our provider, will continue to provide for us until the day we die. That's why we see oftentimes in the scarcity mindset, we say, if I give, then I don't have enough. We, we think like that. But listen to what the Word of God says, and I'm just going to read this quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, in the NLT, it says this, For God is the one who provides seeds for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide the, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So it's God who provides. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 through 20 says this, And may God... And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's according to his riches. How rich is God? Come on, everyone tell me. Very rich. <laughs> Infinitely rich. He will never run out. Turn to somebody and say, God will never run out. He will never run out of resources. He will never run out of things. That's why Jesus reminded us, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's why the one thing, once again, is that God's generosity overcomes any scarcity. I'm gonna give us some next steps and this is how we're gonna respond this morning. Some of you already received a a PDF file. I I made a quick video to remind us what we're gonna be doing here. And to those who aren't here, you could do it online and we'll provide that for you. Once again, if you're serious about growing in your walk with God, you got to exercise your faith muscle. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you, then you got to respond. If you just hear the word, let it go through one ear and out the other, and you walk out of here and you're ready for lunch, I guarantee you, you're just going to get spiritually fat. You're not going to be spiritually fit. And God so much wants you to be spiritually fit. Why? Because there is, There's a mission out there that he wants us to accomplish. Some of us always get short breath. I forgot how to even say it. Shorter breath. Some of us, we can't even go very far because we're spiritually lethargic and we're lazy spiritually. Maybe God in this season is trying to help you to get spiritually fit healthy, so that you can live out your destiny and the calling that God has for you. I'm praying that we will today respond to God in obedience. The first thing that I want to encourage us to do is thank God for His faithfulness. See, gratitude is one of those things that helps you to understand that this gospel message is freely given to you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It has been given to you irregardless of who you are. That's why there's no one who can be proud about themselves and what they have received. Even you being a Christian for many, many years, you can't even be proud about that. You got to understand that this gospel message that has been preached to us, that we begin to understand and we're understanding deeper and deeper is by the grace of God. What it should do is always produce thankfulness. If you are a complainer, you probably have a scarcity mindset. How do you say that, pastor? Well, whatever you're complaining about is probably something that you're not getting, something that you want, something that is not enough. But when you understand the gospel and you have an abundance mindset, even though the things that you might want is not there, you're going to believe by faith that God is going to keep His promise. You're gonna trust in Him. So, can I challenge some of us in this room? If you have not been grateful, you haven't had this heart of gratitude for the gospel and what He has done, and thinking about your life and how He has been faithful to you all these years, if you've forgotten to take some time and have a heart of thankfulness. The second thing is this trust in God for the provisions. I know that some of us are struggling. Some of us might be in debt quietly. No one knows about it, but you're struggling. And it's like a heavy weight on your shoulder. You got to trust God for the provisions. Give to God what is His. Trust in Him for that. And for that little flower and the little jar of oil that you might have as you obey God, may He multiply it in such a way that it will never run out. In fact, that's what I've been trying to teach people. We are like a distribution center. Do you know what that is that means that we're like a warehouse where all these goods come in that's God blessing us not only our lives but our church he's pouring into us so we're we we have all these resources we have all these blessings guess what happens if that distribution center with all the goods are just sitting there there is no room for more things to come in that's why what you need to do is as your distribution center is full, because you have been so blessed, you start distributing this, giving it away. And when you do that, you make more room. And when there's more room, God seeing that, as we read in the passage in Luke, that he will pour more. And as you keep on giving more, then he will pour more. Some of your barns and warehouses, it is full and you're thinking, I'm just going to build a bigger barn, a bigger distribution center. What if God is challenging you to distribute to those who are in need, to the things that we're trying to do as a church and watch if he's a promise keeper and he's a God who's a provider, then watch and see him working in your life. I mean, we could go on and on of testimonies of people who have learned this principle as they exercise their faith. Didn't have much, they, but they're still faithful in that tithing. And as they're praying and looking for a job, they got a job more, better than they could ever expect it. See, God works on the principle of honor. Those who honor Him, He will honor. I don't know what it is in your life, But maybe what we need is to fully trust in his provisions, that he's the provider, that he's the promise keeper, that he's going to help in the time of need. And the last thing is this. Take steps of faith. And we're going to do that right now this morning. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.